welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Before we jump in, as last week, if you were here, uh, we were talking about why we gather as a church, and I wanted to just say one thing before I started, and this was prompted by no one. This was my own reflection of last week. Um, I made a point that um, one of the reasons that we gather is because the church celebrates things together and we bear witness to something that happens when we're together. Um, And one of those moments is baptizing and dedicating babies. Uh, We talked about that. That's one of the moments that we bear witness together as a community. And in doing so, in talking about that, I'm not sure that I took as much care as I would have liked to in a description of a family. Um, And so... uh, You may have been here last week, and maybe you come from a family that didn't have two parents or um, didn't have a man and a woman as a parent. And if you were here last week and in any way you felt like um, what you know to be true and where you've come from um, wasn't represented or talked about as, as welcomed and celebrated, um, my mistake. And I apologize for that. Sometimes you say something, and when you say it, um, you realize you could have said it better. And really, the only thing to do is to go back and say, like, I could have said that better, and I could have. And so I'm sorry that I didn't. And if, that, if you felt that way or you thought, maybe I have a friend, would they be welcome or would their child be welcome? Um, yes, yes and yes. And so um, my sincerest apologies for that. Sound good? Okay. Um, Mark chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're in this series called uh, Mastering the Art of Living. And um, this comes from a statement in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I've come to give life to the full. And Jesus' statement is essentially a claim that his way of life, his way of being a human, is the best possible way to be human. And so a group of people who gather in the name of Jesus then could be, should be, ought to be a group who are learning how to sort of master this art of living human lives Um, because Jesus says he's come to give life and life to the full. So we've talked about what it means to be a church and sort of the direction or the purpose or the mission of a church, a a gathered group of people in Jesus' name. And then last week we talked about why do we even gather? These rhythms of gather and serve and live, things that we're intentionally aiming at, um, and so we're taking them now week by week. So this morning we're going to talk about this word serve or serving. So um, I'm going to invite you to stand. We'll be in Mark 10 starting in verse 32. The gospel writer says this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. Um, We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want, to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Sound like teenagers. <laughs> uh, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus replied. They replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink? Can you be baptized with the, baptize, the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I I drink and be baptized with the, bapt- with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right hand or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. 
When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, I pray, uh, as we look at these words of Jesus and this story of these eager disciples who, um, who wanted something that they didn't even know they were asking for, uh, I pray that you would illuminate, that you would turn on lights, that you would show us um, who it is that you've called us to be as your church and what kind of lives we're to live. Um, I pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Um, I think we miss sometimes in the Bible when we read like a flat two-dimensional of words on a page, the humor and like the moment that would have happened when this happens. Like if you just put yourself in this position, Jesus is talking about what he's about to do and he tells them and then James and John totally miss the point, completely and utterly miss the point. They're like, all right, Jesus, here's what we want you to do for us. When you, when you like rule the roost, when you like roll down and kick out the Romans, we want to be on your right and your left. What do you think? You think you could do that for us, huh? huh? And Jesus is like, you guys are idiots. Like you, you're so missing the point here. He doesn't say that, but um, this scenario is actually quite common in the book of Mark where Jesus tells them something is about to happen the disciples misinterpret this point, and then Jesus teaches them in plain English, like what's happening in plain Aramaic or, or in this case, Hebrew. Um, and uh, this happens in uh, a few chapters before when Jesus says something about his mission and vocation, and Peter's like, No one's going to lay a hand on you if I have anything to do with it. You know, puffs up, and Jesus calls him Satan, which is a bad day. Anytime Jesus calls you Satan, and then it says, get behind me, and then tells them like, what's about to happen, right? Um, this section of Mark that we just read in chapter 10 is about as clear as it gets in terms of Jesus' mission and his vocation as the Christ, uh, the Messiah of, of Israel. And uh, it's very explicit, and it's, uh, there, there's a lot we could do with this, but what I want to do in the time that we have remaining is just draw out two ideas. Uh, and those two ideas is that this verse or this passage is both prescriptive and it's descriptive. Jesus is prescribing something and he's also describing something. So uh, the word prescribe is to lay down as a guide, uh, direction or rule of action. It's to ordain something or specify with authority. So I want to suggest that what Jesus is doing is he's prescribing something for those who are hearing what he's saying. Um, he says essentially... Uh, this is your guide, this is your direction, this is your rule of engagement as people who follow me, this is what you're to do, this is what you're to be about, uh, that you would be a servant, that you would be a servant of all. Um, it's both prescriptive, but it's also descriptive. To describe something is uh, to represent or give an account of in words, to represent by a figure, a model, or picture, to delineate between one thing and another. Uh, to trace or traverse the outline of. So what Jesus is doing here, I want to suggest, is that he's describing differences between the kind of power and the kind of kingdom that he embodies and the power and the kingdom of the world that they live in. Now, thankfully, their world is nothing like our world and their politics and power is nothing like our politics and power. So we, have no, we don't actually have to pay any attention to this passage. That's a joke. 
what Jesus is doing is he's describing, he's comparing and contrasting the kind of power, the kind of politic, the kind of uh, empire or kingdom, he calls it, that he's bringing, that he represents, and he's contrasting it to what they see and know as normal. Um, Let's take this first one. What does it mean that Jesus prescribes something? I want to suggest our prescription is a life of service for the healing of the world. There's this phrase in, in, uh, in Judaism called tikkun olam, and it means uh, restorative righteousness or the healing of the world. So even in the tradition that Jesus comes from, there's baked into it this idea that the people who are participating in it are to be active and working for the healing, the restoration of the world. Jesus' prescription is that that happens in a certain kind of way. And it's that we, as people who follow him, become people who serve, not desire to be served, essentially. Um, we're talking about gather, serve, and live. These three rhythms that we want to be about as a church community. We can't do everything, but we can do some things. And so we've identified these three ideas, gather, serve, and live, as rhythms that we want to be constantly participating in as a church. Why? Because arbitrarily one day we just came together and we thought, what could we be about? No, we look at the Bible and we say, like, this is what churches, the people of God in the world, seem to be doing on a consistent basis. They gather together to tell and retell the story of Jesus. They serve, they, 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 they breathe out into the world, and then they live. They live authentic lives, vulnerable lives, in community with one another. So these three rhythms, right? Today, we're talking about serving. And what does it mean that Jesus says, I've come to be a servant, a servant of all. And I invite you to do the same and to follow suit. Um, When it comes to our relationships and our posture, to those around us, if we follow this Jesus, we're to always take the way of service. Um, what the famous poet, um, I, a road diverged, two roads diverged into a wood and I took the one less traveled, right? You always take the high road, right? With Jesus, we're always to take the road of service. I've been watching this new show called New Amsterdam. Uh, it comes on after This Is Us. I don't know if any of you are watching this yet. Um, I'm a real fan. We watched the first two episodes and like, in both of them, Laura and I are just a hot mess of tears. So if you don't like drama, don't bother. It's not for you, but I'm a sucker for like a good story. So the main character in the, in the show, is called, his name is Max, and Max is a doctor of this, at this hospital called New Amsterdam in New York, and it's basically, you, they don't deny service to anyone. It's a fascinating idea. And so um, he, he basically goes in and he's just changing all the rules, right? All the rules that healthcare is set up on and that everybody sort of plays by, and he's like, we're just going to change the rules, um, we're going to put healthy food in the vending machines. And everyone's like, you can't do that. And they're like, well, we're going to. Somebody finally comes to him and is like, Max, you can't change all these rules. Like, they're going to fire you. You can't keep doing this. And he says, well, let's just keep doing it until they find out. And we'll see what happens, right? Um, somebody said this morning, like, that seems like most of my adult life, actually. <laughs> but he, in this last episode, a uh, nearby hospital um, essentially is incapacitated. A number of their staff can't work, and so he says, well, just send all the people that can't go to that hospital to our hospital, and all the rest of the staff around him are like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't do that. And one person says, Max, why do you always take the hard road? And this oncologist, later on, at the end of the episode, she comes back, and it's kind of the closing scene. If I'm giving away the whole, the whole show on this one. She comes back, and, uh, and she says, Max, today I took the hard road. And for her, that meant, like, 
telling a 10-year-old girl that she had cancer and that she was going to die and what that journey of towards death was going to look like. And she said, I took the hard road today, Max. I want to suggest that the, the people of God, people who follow Jesus, like our prescription is to always take the way of service, to take the road that leads to serving and loving and giving ourselves away. Next week, we're going to talk about live. What does it mean to be people who live in community, in authentic and vulnerable community, which is really primarily about us, right? If you think about the, uh, the analogy of breathing, for a human being, you have to breathe in. Everybody take a big deep breath in. Now hold it. Now take another deep breath in. Hold it. Take another deep breath in. Another Bible study, another worship song, another kids program. Just keep breathing in. Keep breathing in. Right? Oh, you can't. You're going to die. I want to suggest that the church is very similar. When we only do things that benefit us, another Bible study, another worship service, another kids program, another fill in the blank, right? These aren't bad things in and of themselves. I think they're great. I think we should keep doing kids ministry well. I think we should keep gathering. I think if the answer is we need another Bible study to learn more, I'm going to say no, you don't. Actually, you probably don't need to know anything more about the Bible to follow Jesus than you do right now. So another Bible study is not going to help you. It's only going to delay what's inevitable that you don't want to do, right? This is why churches just keep doing more Bible studies and keep doing Sunday school. So they don't have to actually do the things God calls them to do. You can't just breathe in incessantly. You will die and as an organism, the church, I would argue, breathing in is good. Living lives authentically, vulnerably, in community, like, that's for us, and it's a good thing. It helps us, right? But to breathe out is to serve. It's to give ourselves away. It's to collect offerings for, a, 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 how about that, right? Like, you know, you guys are never going to believe this. A car just drove through our doors on Sunday morning. Like, that actually happened right over here. It ended up being a blessing, they said. The, the, the place was a mess, and all this money that came in, like they were able to refurbish and do all kinds of things, so it's like, yeah, the, the car became a blessing driving through their door. But who does that, right? That's to serve. Who goes and gives uh, packs food in backpacks for kids that don't have food on the weekends? That's to serve. Who cares about refugees and asylum seekers? That's to serve. So the church, when it's doing its job, is both breathing in attending to what it means to be the people of God, vulnerably, authentically in community, but then breathing out, serving and loving our neighbors. So question for you. What would you be willing to give up your rights, your pleasure, and your happiness for? Like, as a, if you claim to follow Jesus, this is a question for you. If you don't, I'm going to let you off the hook just for a few moments. I still think that actually, as a human, this is the best way to live, even if you don't buy Jesus, but that's okay. If you follow Jesus, what are you willing to give up your rights, your pleasure, your happiness for? Said differently, who are you willing to put before yourself? It seems to me that if you take Jesus seriously, this is a necessity, this is absolutely necessary for us to be thinking about. The nature of this life Jesus has called us to is one of service and sacrifice. And you can't get around it if you want to take the, the Gospels and Jesus seriously. So who or what would you be willing to give up your rights for? Your pleasure, your happiness, who would you be willing to put before yourself? As a church, 
I think it's a, a, a viable question, one we should be asking. Who are we together willing to, I was talking to my spiritual director this last week, and he's like, Micah, who is awake and willing to give up its life for? And we've answered that question in some ways. There are some things that have captured the hearts of this community. But as a church, who are we willing to give up our lives for? Who are we willing to serve first? What's fascinating is the word that's used in this passage, serve, Jesus says, that the Son of Man comes to, to serve, not to be served. It's the word diakonos, which sounds familiar. Maybe you've heard of deacons. Uh, that's where we get the word deacon from in church. And when you translate it, it means servant. But if you s- separate those two words, the first part, the dia, is thoroughly, and then konos is dust. So one could argue that you could, you could say it means to thoroughly raise up dust in an effort of moving towards someone in sacred service. Which is fascinating too, right? Because there was this phrase around the, the rabbis in Jesus' day, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Which is to say that if you're following your rabbi closely and you're doing the things your rabbi is saying you should do, then you should be literally like covered in the dust of this person. And it seems that Jesus is kicking up a whole bunch of dust serving the world. And if we're not serving the world, then we're not following Jesus. Period. There's just no way around it. Now the other thing I want to talk about, and I'll close with this, is that this idea that Jesus is also describing something. The description of Jesus' power and politic could and can inform the power and politic we pursue as followers of Jesus. Do you guys have seatbelts in your, in your pews now? You're going to want to grab those, take the flat end and insert it into the buckle and just wrench it down, okay? I'm going to talk to you about politics just for a moment because I once heard someone tell me that their presentation of the gospel, uh, the good news, is apolitical. Which means, like, it's void of political slant. It doesn't favor one side or the other. To which I would just say, what book are you reading? If you're reading the Bible and you're reading the Gospels and you don't get the fact that what Jesus is saying and doing is highly political, you are completely and utterly missing what Jesus is saying. People don't get hung on a cross because they're in bed with the powerful. People don't get hung on crosses because they're actually serving and um, like being at the beck and call of the politicians and the religious and the people that serve them, the systems that serve them. You get hung on a cross because you're challenging power. You get hung, now of course, there's all kinds of things going on in the atonement, right? It's not just a political act, but it is absolutely a political act. And to divorce atonement theology from political theology is a bad idea. Because then you get people who vote one way, but then actually when you think about it, it's the complete opposite or antithesis of what Jesus seems to be about. And then the world looks at the church and they go, how is that possible that you say you follow this guy and yet you, you, you have one issue that you vote about? And then like at, at, at the cost of everything else. Don't do that. Be smarter than that, church. Think about it. So here's what I want to say. Listen to what Jesus says when he explains to them why he's going to die. He says, Jesus called them together. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. For the Son of Man did not come to serve, not to be served, but to serve and lay his de- be a ransom for many. We can't be a ransom for many, right? This is something that only Jesus can do. But we can 
do what he's doing, serve. Who are the Gentiles in the context that Jesus is speaking? The ones who are lording it over them? Not a trick question. You should know this. Rome. This is Rome, right? Rome. The Roman Empire. One of the most, arguably, the most powerful empires that's ever walked the face of the planet aside from a couple, including ours, the United States of America. One of the things we forget when we read, about, read a verse like this is that this is a, as much about atonement theology as it is about poli- politics and power. And as Christians who are entering the month of November in a midterm election cycle, we would do well to remember part of this, this part of Jesus' message. Now, what I want to do right now is tell you who to vote for. <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you you should be a Republican. I'm not going to tell you you should be a Democrat. That is not what I'm doing. So if you are feeling that, I want to just take you off the ledge. That's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is that Jesus' message is highly political. He is comparing and contrasting his way of power and politics with those around him that seem normal. Rome, the empire... And what he's saying is that how we do power, how we do politics, how we do influence is different than the way the world does it. The world lords it over and it serves itself and those at the top at the cost of the many serve those at the top. That's just human interest. It's human nature. Without being checked, that's where we go. Jesus is saying that the kingdom is different than that. No, no, you lay down your life for your enemy. You you advocate for things for the marginalized and the people. Think about all the people that Jesus was for, spoke to, was in solidarity with. It was the people at the bottom of the totem pole. It was the marginalized. It was the oppressed. It was the people who didn't have names. It was the people who were on the outside of all the systems that kept people away. Jesus seems to be moving towards those people all the time. So my challenge to you this morning is this. This election, when we come to November in midterms, like these ones really matter. And so if you have, if you're following Jesus actually um, is connected to what happens in our world politically and governmentally, and I would argue that it should be, pay attention to who you're voting for and what you're voting for. Think about the, the message that Jesus gives and the invitation he gives us to be servants of all, to come under and empower from the bottom, not to do top-down. And does our society and the people who serve on our behalf in our democratic state, do they represent that idea? And, you know, this is a very nuanced point that I'm making, and I recognize this. It's not, it's not just going to be either or, easy-peasy. This is a really, this is a tough thing to navigate. But I don't, I want to, I'm not going to excuse you as people of God. I'm going to engage you. I'm going to challenge you as your pastor to think critically about the message that Jesus invites us to, the kind of life that he invites us to, and then I I want that to inform your politic and how you show up when you vote. You have a voice. Use it. We live in one of the greatest spaces the world has ever known, a democracy, where in theory, everybody has a voice. Now, it's taken us a long time to even get there, and many would say we have a long ways to go still, But in theory, this is as good as it's going to get on this side of the kingdom. So be engaged. Use your voice. But don't divorce it from who Jesus calls us to be as his church. Let that inform you as you show up. 
And what does it mean to be a servant? I just recently got a 403B statement. And when I looked at it, <clears throat> I was like, there's got to be a typo. Like, astronomical growth in my like, little 403B. And I'm standing looking at this thing, and I said to myself, well, it would appear that current policies are doing my 403B very well. And then this little voice in the back of my head said, what's the cost? At what cost? I can't argue that maybe certain policies are good for my bank account or your bank account. I'm not going to argue with that. But what's the cost? Does it serve me first or the poor and the marginalized and the left out and those on the edges? Those who have no voice. And I would just suggest that if you follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to think about that. Jesus says, the Son of Man comes to serve, not to be served. To give his life as a ransom for many. So as the church, what are you willing to give of your own personal rights, liberties, happiness, for the sake of others? Because that seems to be the way of Jesus. Now if you come back next week, I want to talk about what it means to live in community. But I've never been one to shy away from a hard thing to say. And I think that Jesus says some sharp things at times. And so I want to invite you to think about that as your pastor. Um, I want to close with this. And um, I want to take a moment just to address, uh, truthfully, a really deep sadness and difficulty that um, both Awakened Parishes are in the midst of. Uh, if you're a partner at West 7th, you probably got a letter this last week. Um, from the Awaken Network Board with information related to Pastor Dan and Awaken East. If you're not a partner, that letter is available at the back, and if you want it, you're welcome to grab a copy of it. Um, we have always strived for authenticity and honesty. That's part of why we do the quarterly update. Um, and we want this to be sort of the baseline for how we do life together. And in this case, related to Dan and Awaken East, we've attempted to strike a very hard to achieve balance between honesty and respect for the process and those who are involved in that process. So I want to just get you up to speed and then offer a couple of thoughts. Um, on Thursday, uh, the 11th of October, Awaken East met here for a congregational meeting, which was a disclosure meeting, and received information that Dan had been suspended um, from his duties as pastor for pastoral indiscretion. Uh, that means that he's suspended from all pastoral duties at Awaken East until he meets with the Board of Ordered Ministry, which holds the credentials of covenant pastors. So he'll meet with that group in January. Uh, at that meeting, he'll be invited to walk out a process that is always in the, with the hopes of restoration. Um, the length of that process, we really don't know. There's a lot of variables involved in that, and so to ask how long will that take or how long will that suspension be, uh, I don't know, and we don't know. So a few thoughts. First, um, Dan's suspension and my suspension, though ironically are one day apart in a year, uh, it was October 22nd last year that I was suspended, uh, our suspensions are for very different reasons. And so if you're wondering if those two things are connected at all, they are not. They're very different. Um, secondly, some of you were unhappy with the reason that I was suspended or the way in which that was handled by the covenant. And so there may be a, a healthy level of skepticism. 
um, towards the covenant for some of you. And I understand that. But I want you to know that the Awaken Network Board, the advisory team at Awaken West 7th, and myself um, all are in agreement with the covenant's decision to suspend Dan's license. As hard as that is to say, um, that's true. And you need to know that. Um, Third, a licensed and ordained pastor in the covenant can be suspended for uh, and disciplined for a number of reasons, including indiscretion, immorality, doctrinal error, unethical behavior, or disloyalty to the covenant. Uh, So Dan has been suspended for pastoral indiscretion. Uh, I realize that that distinction may or may not be helpful to some of you uh, to understand the details of why, which leads me to the final point. Um, You all have nominated and affirmed people who serve on the advisory team at Awaken and on the Awaken Network Board. And as your pastor, um, I'm gonna ask that you trust those people who are all very much involved in this process. Um, Seeing as we're in agreement for the reason um, for Dan's suspension, I'm gonna ask that you trust the process and the people that are involved in the process to be able to share. Um, Our desire is to love Dan and his family well and Awaken East. and to do whatever is best for all of the people involved. And so when we have information that's appropriate to share, um, we will. That's our covenant to you. That's our promise to you. That's my promise to you. Um, and, our des- and this desire to sort of strike this balance between honesty and discretion um, is really for the sake of the people involved. So my ask to you as a community is to trust the people you've affirmed and elected to lead on your behalf. And when we have information that's available to share, we will share it. Uh, Until then, will you pray and be in prayer for both Awaken East, for Dan and his family, for Awaken West 7th and this community, um, and for the gospel and the good news of God in the world. So that's my ask of you, if you would um, be in prayer for them. Uh, Lots of things are happening in the next couple weeks in terms of what's next. And so um, when we have more to share, uh, we'll do that. there's no real good way to transition from anything like news like that. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to invite us to a time of silence um, and a time of prayer. Um, if you're new to Awaken, um, you've entered this day on a bizarre day. Uh, and there's no way around that. So for that, um, well, church is full of people. And this happens sometimes. So welcome to people. Um, But I want to invite you to a time of silence and a time of prayer. So if you would um, pray with me. God, this morning, we, um, many of us come with really heavy hearts. And there are moments and times when we ask, uh, where are you? And why? And how? And so I pray that in the next few moments of silence, as we together um, just breathe in and out and offer what prayers and thoughts and concerns are in our hearts, that you would remain and sustain and be who you have always been, faithful, inviting us to continue to partner with you in the good work that you're doing. And so God, whatever risks we take in doing that, Um, We recognize that 
Sometimes that doesn't go how we think it will go. Uh, and so when we find ourselves there, we look to you and we quiet our hearts and ask you to lead and guide. So in the next few moments of silence, before we close with a song that hopefully binds our hearts together, um, would you do that, I pray. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.